0: And and so, like, to me, like, a big part of the appeal of a guy like Springsteen or a guy like Dylan or a guy like Phil Oaks is being able to listen to some live version where they rewrite a verse on the fly or where the the arrangement is totally different, you know. And so a a lot of what I end up doing when I'm introducing my kids or or the family in the house to Springsteen is very situational. It's very targeted. It's like, no, you're going to get this (laughs) reference,
1: Hey, thanks for coming back. This week's episode is the second part of my discussion with Russ Burlingame, who is a uh, senior writer for comicbooknews.com, a longtime Springsteen fan. Uh, in this episode, we talk about shows he's attended and uh, other fun Springsteen stuff. So please jump back in. If you haven't heard the first part of the interview, it is on last week's feed. Go listen to it first. Or I guess you could start with this one. There are no rules. We're just trying to. Hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're just trying to have fun. Thank you. I always like to preface this last question if we go back to Bruce. Um, the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. Mm-hmm. Depending on your f- financial situation, your age, your location, all those things are factors. But for the record, uh, how many times have you seen Bruce perform live?
0: Uh, you know, and I, I, I knew you were going to ask this, and I should have, like, actually gone and counted ticket stubs. Um, okay. A, six or seven. Uh, okay. Not a ton. Um, okay. I, I didn't get to my first concert until the Rising Tour. Okay. That and, was my uh, first show, so yes. Yeah. And then for me, a lot of it is just economics. Like yeah. I, uh, I have never been uh, somebody with a ton of disposable income. By the time I finally got a good job and started making real money, uh, I had kids. Yeah, And so it really is the last like eight to ten months where I feel like I can breathe financial
1: yeah um, um I, I had the same issue um got married in 84 moved to dallas in 86 had the boy in 89 um and uh, like when they weren't touring much then and then um would not even have thought of seeing any of the other band because i have yeah. a four or five year old and there's there's I we just had tubes and I got to pay that monthly note to the doctor and and oh we you know by the way uh tuition's due in in the school or daycare and so yes it is um it's very very cool about that um I I'm sure you know but my boss time is the wonderful website that um will yeah. take you down a rabbit hole that you can put and it'll do all the logistics for you of telling you what's your most heard song or whatever so that's good
0: um, I tried to do it the other day and it was down oh, uh, no. like I was, I was listening to one of your interviews with Ron and uh, I, was, I should do that and then yeah. I, I went and it wasn't working and I was like of course when of I finally figured it yes. <laughs> um, so
1: any specific stories from shows or anything now you've already told a great one about you and Ron not getting to see each other <laughs> but, you know. but uh, any other stories from shows
0: you well, remember. I tell you, uh, near misses are apparently a motif because, uh, my first concert was at the, the palace at Auburn Hills in Michigan yeah. in, during the rising tour. And, uh, my buddy Zach and I, who's one of my closest friends going back to high school. Okay. Uh, and he's the guy actually, I was saying, who's my, my friend and producer who had gone out to lunch with me and Ron.
2: Yeah.
0: And so, uh, Zach and I are big. He's the, he's the other, he's the yin to my yang, spring wise. Okay. Uh, he's got a tattoo on his arm that says it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. Nice. Uh, in Bruce's handwriting. Uh, with, uh, at, at some point, Bruce had apparently written your and put the apostrophe in the wrong place. So that's <laughs> on Zach's tattoo. <laughs> um, but, uh, so anyway, uh, we finally got to the point where we had, Time and money at the same time yeah. to go to a concert. And uh, so we, we, we hooked it out to, uh, Detroit. And of course, like we live in Syracuse. We didn't have money for plane tickets, so we drove to Detroit. It's like a 10 hour drive. Yeah. And I remember it, the, the show was at, uh, you know, let's say for the sake of argument seven, whatever the time was. Yeah. And so we figured it out and then we figured out like, okay, here, let's give us, let's give us an extra like four hours in case sure. we get traffic, whatever. Uh, so we drive to Detroit, we check into our hotel, we got like two hours before gates open. Yeah. And so we sat down to have food because we yeah. hadn't eaten in like six hours. Yeah. Both of us fell asleep on the hotel bed. Oh no. And uh, there was no alarm. Uh, my body woke me up uh, basically the minute we needed to leave. We had <laughs> zero time to prep to do anything. Uh, and I just remember waking up and going like, oh shit. And uh, sorry if I... That's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I just I woke up and I was like, oh no. And I, I look at the time and I was like, we, we theoretically have time, but like, I have to wake him up and we have to go out the door this instant. Uh, and so we, we got to the show on time, but it was this weird thing of like getting up at two in the morning so that we could get to, uh, the, the hotel in, in Detroit on time and then falling asleep and being, and almost missing the show just cause we're idiots. <laughs> That's, that is great. That is awesome. Um, and, uh, and if you have a, uh, if you have, I don't think that shows ever been commercially released. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have a, a bootleg CD from way back when, uh, yeah. And, uh, because I, I – very much like Ron, now that I work in an IP-heavy business, I don't really believe in boot lighting anymore. Right. Uh, however, like that doesn't mean I went and burned all the stuff that I had in my early 20s before I uh, got to that mindset. Yeah. Uh, so so uh,
1: what's funny is um, I, I remember Penn Gillette talking in a podcast – this is years ago – about um, he truly believes in intellectual property, and he respects mm-hmm. that but he's still going to buy all the Dylan bootlegs he can. And he says his only justification is the moment it becomes legally released, he buys a copy, right? Right.
0: Um, Yeah. And that's how I function with Bruce. Not that I buy every – not that I buy all the bootlegs anymore, but but anything that I own in my collection, if it becomes available on Nugs, I immediately buy it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm a physical media guy, so a lot of the time I'll buy it on CD. Yeah.
2: And so it that. ends up
0: costing me more than the bootleg did. <laughs> um, um, but uh, so, well, the, the the reason I brought up the bootleg, though, yeah. actually, is, is a second much smaller story. Okay. Uh, which is my buddy, Zach, and I are both, like I said, we're political animals.
2: Yeah.
0: And I remember in 99 when uh, 41 Shots happened. Okay. Like I remember, they went and they played that that show in Atlanta, I think it was, and the police exactly. boycotted. Uh, and so when uh, when he played American Skin at the the our first concert at the Palace at Auburn Hill, we loved the song and we loved the politics behind it, and we know that a lot of people at Bruce shows don't necessarily. Um, and so our our enthusiasm was buoyed by the lack of enthusiasm of others in the crowd. Um, so if you have that bootleg, you can at one point hear the two of us screaming fairly distinctly.
2: Oh, no, you're <laughs> awesome.
0: And it was just one of those things where I was like, that can't be us, right? That's not right. And I, I, I like played I, it for Zach, and he's like, no, that's definitely you. No, oh, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> well, you
1: know, I asked Ron this, and so I'll ask you too. Have you gotten a chance to hear his uh, XM shows?
0: A couple. Uh, I... I have Sirius XM specifically yeah. for E Street Radio and I basically only ever listen to E Street when I'm listening to Sirius. Yes. But also I don't listen to it as much as I should. It's probably not actually worth the money that I'm paying. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the time I will tune in specifically cause like I'll get a message from Ron saying, yeah. Hey, this is happening or like, right. Hey, this particular concert's going to be played or, or Bruce yeah. is doing a show. And so, like, I've heard some, but it's, it's not a thing that I've made, like, appointment radio because uh, my I don't have the presence of mind. <laughs> yeah, what's what's funny
1: is um, it, I bought when he was to, to tell you when they were doing the live show for Wrecking Ball, you know, they were going to do at the Apollo. Um, yeah. um, I reached out to um, Sirius XN and. I, I forgot how much it is. It's three or four bucks a month to get it where you could watch you know, on demand. It doesn't have to be yeah. in your car. And so we've just kept it ever since. And so, um I I when they say they're gonna happen, I, you know, set an alarm, I have it on my phone, and so I, I get on the app and I'm listening and I'm at work, right? And so I've got it in one ear and I'm pausing and it may take to like 12 o'clock before I get to the whole hour because I keep pausing it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, not surprisingly, it's really well done. I mean, he he tells a story and he's um, this past one With uh, Southside and Little Steven Mm -hmm. was not as political. It was more just three old friends having fun. But the past, the two or three were very political and very uh, of our times in speaking for about the things that I think need changing.
0: And I should say, uh, speaking to that, uh, not specifically to the politics of the moment, but uh, one of the the things that I glanced over as I was talking about the stuff is that very much like you and Ron – uh, yeah. Part of what really drew me in about the box set was the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so it's funny I, I whenever he does uh, some speech, and you yeah. get the inevitable shut up and play people. Yeah. I'm always like, no man, you you shut up because like to me like that's an intrinsic part of the live experience because when you listen to that album, the like you had the Woody Guthrie story, you had the draft yeah. story, you know. It's all baked into the DNA of of what, as a teenager, I imagined a Springsteen show was. Well, and,
1: you know, it's like, have you not been paying attention? Yeah. Uh, You know, this is not a new thing with him, you know, this is... Yeah, it's
0: it's similar to, uh, you probably saw my tweet the other day, Uh, one of my favorite comics is this thing called Savage Dragon, Yeah. and uh, I've been doing like a commentary track style interview with the writer and artist for... A hundred issues and change now. Yeah. Every every issue we talk about it. And uh, when Bush was in office, W. Bush, mm-hmm. um, Eric would poke at him, and people would yeah. get upset because they, you're making my superheroes political. Yeah. Uh, and Eric's like, I, I invented this superhero when I was ten. I think I'm allowed to make him whatever I want. <laughs> um, exactly. But uh, and then it happened again with Trump. It's like it, Trump comes in. Dragon, it's not even all that often that he pokes at him, but he pokes at him, and people get very upset. And so I I took a a screenshot from the first hardcover from, like, 1993.
2: Yeah.
0: And Dragon was a cop for the first, like, 60 issues of the comic or something. And his first day on the job, he gets introduced to this cop who, like, doesn't like super freaks and who had been, he just came back from a three-day suspension for beating up a black suspect. Yeah. And like, Dragon, like, beats him up and then lectures him about Rodney King while he's on the ground. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I never want to hear anybody tell me that Savage Dragon number 192 is the one that made it political again. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, exactly. Very much so. Um, gosh, we've been going an hour. Um, <laughs> I, we will we will have to do this again. Um, yeah. The um, current any... F- Favorite songs or albums that that you're going to, not just during this time, but just, just for your family. You mentioned the kids or stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I assume you're trying to raise them with at least some, <laughs> uh, you know, Springsteen influence.
0: As, as much as I can. Uh, my It's funny, my my son, uh, my, m- my oldest two kids both are on the autism spectrum. And so a lot of their music is like they want – to go on Alexa and play the soundtrack for the video game that they've been playing. So it's a lot of like techno and, you know, um, and so the, 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 the Springsteen thing that I was, I've been able to like sneak into the rotation is this weird six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of craziness where it's like, uh, Daniel is obsessed with the cars movies. Okay. And so on the cars three soundtrack, I don't know if you know this, Audrey day does a cover of glory day. Oh, nice. And, uh, And so, I've I've been able to to show Daniel, like, hey, did you know that that song from Cars, uh, here's the original version from when I was a kid. Nice. (laughs) And and, uh, it it kind of blows his mind because, like, to him, his, like, he he perseverates on things. He thrives on routine. He does the same handful of things all the time. And so, it's like his his world is kind of small in a lot of ways. Sure. Like we do our best to expand it and he's a really like he's a smart kid and he's fairly social. But like because he's so like obsessive about things, his world yeah. gets small if we don't kind of expand it by hand. Yeah. And and so it's always whenever I come up with something like that where it's just like, hey, here's something from your world and I'm gonna say like this is like this is around when I was four and yeah. and you didn't know it it always blows them away. <laughs> and so That's like, great. uh, I, I'll play, uh, I'll play that. And, and in my house right now, my, my father-in-law is a, one of those guys who's very driven by music, uh, okay. like the, the, the musicality, the guitar solos, the thing. And he doesn't really, he doesn't listen to lyrics at all. Okay. Like, and, and so he, when I first started dating my, my wife, he told he asked me like, you know, you're obsessed with Springsteen. What's what's the appeal? Yeah. And I made him like a, a, a CD that was like a bunch of stuff that was very intentionally not stuff he would ever listen to. Yeah. Where it's like, uh, stolen car and uh, Valentine's Day and yeah. and, and like, things things where it's like, no, this is like you got to sit down and listen to it like it's a poem.
2: Right.
0: Uh, and and so like there's a lot of that, uh, around here. Like I'm, I'm the only huge Springsteen nerd in a house that's just teeming with people. Uh, we're, we're living upstairs essentially from my in-laws. We're going to buy this house when they are, when they retire. Uh, yeah. and it just became one of those things where, uh, they, when we were pregnant with our third kid, they were like, Hey, come stay with us for a little while. And then we stayed with them for a little while and then they're like, Hey, you want to buy this house? Mm-hmm. And, and so now it's like, okay, well, we, there's a lot of us in this house now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm Springsteen nuts and so it's like I'm always sneaking uh, things in under the radar and being like no no like yeah. I, I actually one of my favorite songs this is weird but uh, uh, I have this one bootleg that I listen to at Comic-Con a lot yeah um, and uh, I, I can't remember where it's from but the the name of the bootleg is you can always trust your car to the man who wears the star oh nice uh, and it's from 70, early 75, I think, or, you know, so uh, the big thing is I, I, like, first of all, I had like an anxiety attack one of my first years at Comic-Con, sure. and things were not good work-wise, like it was a bad day, it was a bad, you know, and I just remember like saying, screw it, I blew off something that I was supposed to do, and I walked around to clear my head, and I put this thing on on my iPad, iPod, and uh, the thing that really, for whatever reason, pulled me out of my funk was Wings for Wheels
1: oh nice and so
0: uh I played that I, I was playing that the other day for my father-in-law uh and he knows obviously uh, Thunder Road because even though he's not a huge Springsteen fan he's right. very musically smart and so he like he's like holy shit this is really interesting and uh and I said yeah yeah and so I I like took that opportunity to play him like the version of Born to Run from Chimes of Freedom and, and the right. steel guitar version of Born in the USA and be like, this is a big part of what appeals to me about it. Like, I, yeah. I always compare it to my first concert as a, as a 13-year-old that I remember going to uh, was the Rolling Stones. Right. And I love the Stones. I still love the Stones. But after three or four concerts, I stopped going. Yeah. And the reason is because they are, they are virtuosos. They really are. Yeah. And, but they play every night, and it sounds just like the record. Yeah. And there's a level of craftsm- craftsmanship that that requires that is unbelievable. Yeah. But to me, it misses the fun of a live experience. Yes. And and so, like, to me, like, a big part of the appeal of a guy like Springsteen or a guy like Dylan or a guy like Phil Oaks is being able to – listen to some live version where they rewrite a verse on the fly or where the the arrangement is totally different. Yeah. You know? And so a a lot of what I end up doing when I'm introducing my kids or or the family in the house to Springsteen is very situational. It's very targeted. It's like, no, you're going to get this (laughs) reference.
1: Yeah. Um, Are you going to be covering some of the virtual Comic-Con?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, because of the nature of our, our site, you know, we're, we're, at this point, we are consistently the largest kind of site in the comic space in North America. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I don't know for sure cause I haven't talked to my editor about it specifically, but somebody asked yeah. me the other day, Hey, are you covering this? And how are you covering it? What are your plans? Yeah. And I said, no, honestly, I think our plans are to just cover it the same way we would cover San Diego Comic-Con. Like, yeah, yeah we're not traveling. Yeah. We're not doing in-person interviews, but like, it's still going to be an all-hands event. There's still stuff going on all day that we're going to have to write about. Yeah. I, I think that we're going to have everybody staring at screens, and I think probably yeah. our output will actually, will actually be more rather than less this year because you won't have people who are, like, stuck in a panel somewhere where the Wi-Fi doesn't work and yeah. then trying to, like, text everybody the breaking news on their cell phone.
1: So and the question that probably only three members of my audience care, uh, what do you think you're going to do with that woman? Uh, again, the rumor is right there, recasting, and I just don't know if that's going to work. I mean, the storylines, well, I have no problem with a new actress, but just there's all this connecting of Kate Kane that's like, okay, how are we going to connect the
0: dots? Well, and that's, that's the big thing. I, w- I will clarify slightly because you said recasting, and you're yeah. like you're yeah. thinking what's actually happening, but the way you said it, it might not be clear to people who don't know yeah. the situation. Um Ruby Rose, who played Batwoman in the first season and last year in the Elseworlds crossover stepped down, didn't wanna work on the show anymore, I guess. And uh, so the the question became like, okay, so who's Kate Kane now? Who's gonna take over as Bruce's cousin? And after about a week, uh, rumors started to leak that like nobody, that they're gonna completely remove Kate from the story and that they're gonna have a new Batwoman with a new secret identity and Kate's disappearance will be part of that person's narrative. Right. Uh, which on the, on paper sounds interesting, but as you alluded to, the nature of the show, everything is so completely wrapped up around Kate. I yep. mean, the fact that she's carrying on this legacy from Bruce, who, by the way, also went mysteriously missing, so it's like at some point, that, that backstory is going to wear thin if everybody just yep. disappears, yep. Uh, but the fact that the bad guy is her twin sister, the fact that the other bad guy for season two is this guy who uh, essentially is impersonating Bruce. Yeah. And so it's like you're, the, the two big bads are, are your sister and your cousin. Yeah. And your dad is an antagonist because he's like a local law enforcement guy who doesn't like vigilantes. And so you're just sitting here going like the entire show is completely wrapped up around the character of Kate. Yes. The idea of somebody else stepping into the Batwoman costume makes almost no sense. Yeah, it, it's like almost any other show, like these other, the, all the other uh, CW superhero shows that that I cover. Yeah, um, you could come up with an excuse right. to replace almost anybody. You know, there there's there's like three people who could step in and be the next Flash if if Grant Gustin didn't want to didn't want to do it anymore. You know, obviously we have a new Green Arrow already. Yeah, uh, and 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 so this is the one show where the nature of the show almost demands like no this doesn't work like the yeah. thing that you're trying to do doesn't make any sense and i think that the idea of embracing that as a creative challenge and trying to make a surprisingly great show out of it um is it's a high risk high reward kind of gamble um if you if they pull it off i think people are going to look at this in a year and be like this is the next legends of tomorrow where we wrote yeah. them off too early and now it's, it's genius
1: yeah, um, I, I'm pulling for him. I hope for the best. Um, I have truly adored Stargirl. I think it's the perfect tone for the summer. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just—it's been a great show. Uh, that's very nice. Um, what have I not asked you that um, I should have asked
0: you? I'm, I'm trying, the only thing I can—the only thing I can think of in terms of uh, in terms of Bruce uh, is—and uh, obviously, like, if I were to come on again, we can talk more about specific stories. Yes. But, uh, the, the like obvious one, uh, that, that you didn't ask or we didn't get to cause we ran it was, uh, if I have a favorite show that I've done that I've been to, yes. uh, which is, uh, I always say like, not only my favorite Bruce show, but like one of the best nights of my life, um, was, uh, last dance at Shea. Nice. I was there for the last show of the rising tour mm-hmm. and, uh. I wasn't keyed in to like the Bruce community really in a big way. Right. Uh, Like nowadays uh, I I lurk on message boards. I still don't really talk to people. I wrote a review at one point uh, for shotgun reviews back when that site existed of, uh, I can't remember if it was the rising or something else, but I wrote a review and I specifically called out a particularly negative message board community that I was a part of. Mm -hmm. I'm like, these people are all miserable bastards who don't like anything made after 1978. And they like the album. Um, and, and they found that review and were very mad at me. So now I lurk. Uh (laughs) But, uh, uh, the, so I wasn't keyed into like all of the special guests and stuff. And as I've kind of alluded to a couple of times, like Dylan was a huge part of my kind of musical experience growing up. Uh, if there was, if there was three records that were like, Life-changing in a big way. It's probably um, the that Steppenwolf, Big Ass, uh, to the set that I alluded to, Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, and Born to Run. Because like at the end of the day, like throughout my teenage years and my twenties, those three combined got more mileage than like the other hundred CDs that I ended up owning. Sure. um And and so like when Dylan comes out on stage to play Highway 61, and I had no damn idea that it was coming. Yes uh It's just a transcendent moment, I and I also this. remember uh we were still at that point. Like, and you, you've probably seen this with, with anybody who's younger. Yeah. Um, the the fans, and I, I am of course now part of this older general, not older, but like the I'm I'm part of middle age fandom, and right. so I look and when I go and there's teenagers, I'm like, oh man, that's great! It's like the next generation still a lot, you know? Yeah. And so. At that point, uh, it was 2002. We were 22. And me and Zach were there, and we were those kids. Yes. Uh, and so one of the great regrets I have, uh, this this lady, this like middle-aged, very very nice, very lovely lady, um, came up to us. She had a flip phone, and we were screaming at the top of our lungs to Rosalita. Yeah. And she's like, "Can I take a video of you guys? Because it's adorable." And we're like, "Yeah, we have whatever, man. Yeah, of course." And I'm like, an hour after the concert, I was just like, I should have given her my phone number, I want that video. Yes, absolutely, yes. <laughs> and, and of course, because we were in the pit for that, we were like, you, yeah. you, from the framing of where she was standing and where we were, it's like, no, absolutely, the stage would have been behind us, it would have been a really perfect um, oh, that's little great. moment. And so it's one of those things where I'm just like, that's one of the only like regrets that I had from that night, but literally the only reason you can have that regret is because the concert was so great. That you're just yep. like, holy cow! There's there's footage of me at this concert. I want it. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's a great story. That's nice. And it is kind of funny that as you grow and you see um, his legacy continues and mm-hmm. and, and grows. And um, you know, I, I've had a couple of young fans on. That share their passion and how some of them are second or third generation Springsteen fans and some of them just happened to discover his music and have fell in love with it. That is great. Um, All right. Yes, I want to have you on. We got to talk comics. Um, I didn't get to hear your thoughts on Western Stars, the film and the the release. Uh, What do you think he's going to do next? So um, let's let's
0: figure out a time to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. I I will say, just because I'm going to plug it again, uh, you can hear uh, my thoughts on Western Stars, the film, uh, which touches on my thoughts on the release uh, on the Emerald City Video Podcast because we went to the special screening in in Syracuse. Oh,
1: nice. Good. Um, all right. Well, I will I will definitely check that out. Um absolutely. We um it, we we didn't get to do the group but for Blinded by the Light, we ended up like having 15, 16 people in Dallas um all meet up. Um and I was like, "Man, six of you have been on the podcast and yeah. we all had a group of us go see Blinded by the Light and and kind of Actually, share." Uh, yeah. Speaking
0: of like that that sense of community and and yeah. Western Star uh, I very much remember this past year at San Diego Comic Con. You know, Western Stars had just come out because yeah. San Diego's in July, and uh, I'm at the Warner Brothers party. Yeah, have a couple of drinks. I, I never get drunk at industry events, but I do yeah. have a couple of drinks sure. and you loosen up a little bit. Um, and and so had a couple of drinks. I was feeling pretty good, and I saw Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, who are two of the nicest people you will ever meet in your right. life. And. uh, and I love their work, and they had just released something—I can't remember what—that I really yeah. liked. And so I went over to say hi, and uh, I was wearing a springsteen t-shirt, uh, or something springsteen. It might not have been, but whatever it was. Jimmy asked me, like, "What do you think of Western Stars?" And we ended up having this great conversation. Jimmy was like the biggest fan of Western Stars that I've ever talked to. Oh, that's uh, awesome! Adored it. And and it was just it was this great conversation like sitting by the pool at the Warner Brothers party where we're it's like ten o'clock at night and I'm sitting here talking to Jimmy and Amanda about Bruce Springsteen and I'm like this is this is life very is good very,
1: life is good life is good yes absolutely you know that's kind of uh, and kind of how I thought about you know because I happened to see Ron you know mm-hmm. tweeting about Bruce and reached out to him, and, and it was just because, you know, I've loved his comics. You know, I mean, just yeah. a great guy and, and just have loved his work and to have him join me was pretty cool, so now I'm going to have to, uh, yeah, I know, now I'm like, I'm, 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 I want to get a whole set of comic fans that are talking Bruce. Uh, so, all right. I, we will definitely check out um, on your podcast, The Hero Western Stars. But, merry question. So, we're going to close sure. up with, for those of you who have not heard the show before, Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area. And every year, even this year, with a pandemic, um, they take a couple of days and his seniors break down – The song Thunder Road was known as Wings for Wheels, uh, and (laughs) they break down all the lyrics. They break down the imagery. Um, They discuss it as if it was an epic poem, um, and they compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and uh, other poems. And then at the end of the two days, uh, Jay asked the question to his students, does Mary get in the car? So, (laughs) Russ, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car?
0: Before I answer, I do want to preface with one quick story, and I promise Please, I won't. Take no, no,
1: no, no. You've got uh, uh, real time
0: because because uh, this speaks to something about my brain. Uh, when I was in uh, when I was in college, I wrote this paper, and I do not remember for the life of me what the assignment was. But I remember writing a paper about the way that Bruce Springsteen, uh, what what we would now call, is like an ally, like the idea. Right. That he speaks up for marginalized groups and the fact that he represents people in his music that are not white guys. That he's, you know, that he's narrated songs as a woman, he's narrated songs, you know. Right. And, and at one point in that paper, I remember talking about Bruce's relationship to the LGBT community and yes. talking about like Kiss and Clarence and, and yes. like that normalizing male affection yes. and, and some of the stuff like that. And I mentioned in passing that like, One of my, one of my gay friends had pointed out to me the frequency of Mary showing up and that Mary in the gay community is like a slang term that is, I I don't honestly claim to know what it means, but I, at the time I knew because my friend had been talking to me about it and he was smarter than I was about that stuff. Um, but because he talked about it as a well-known colloquialism and because I'd heard it like on TV in passing, I assumed that my professor would know what it meant, and so I just dropped it in there and didn't explain it. Right. And I just remember getting the, the paper back and it was like, I got a very good score on the paper but there was a whole, a whole paragraph of her being like, I don't understand what this means, with a merry face.
1: So, um, what's what's funny, and a uh, couple things, one, um, you, you mentioned you're kind of going through the episodes, uh, Bella Pori, who has been on the show many times, um, re, uh, did a um, Bruce's most gayest songs and so she did we had a whole episode on that uh, yeah. she believes that Western Stars is nothing but songs about uh, gay couples um, she is just a firm believer in that um, and then I can remember in fact Bella told the story that Streets of Philadelphia is it was her gateway to Springsteen because as a lesbian she had never heard someone from that perspective yeah. and I can remember um, Roger and Ebert back when Siskel and Ebert, you know, Roger Ebert, yeah. and Gene Siskel, were, you know, that, you watch that syndicated TV show, yeah. them talking about the power of a major rock star singing from a perspective as a gay man yeah. and how unique that was and how um, groundbreaking that was. Um, so you're right. And, and I believe that for those of you – we go back to our earlier thing, just shut up and saying, have you not been paying attention? That yeah. from the moment he started getting successful, uh, I would make the argument in you know, 84, 85, he started using the political the, – the, the power of his voice to try to make a difference. So yeah. absolutely. That, that's a great story. Uh,
0: but to, to my answer to the Mary question is yes. – uh, and is it really kind of a bummer? Because my answer is that she does get in the car, but that ultimately it's a really unfulfilling life. And that she ends up being one of those people where 10 years down the, down the line, it's the highways alive nights, tonight, but everybody, nobody's fooling nobody about where it goes. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's kind of my take, is that like I think in the grand operatic style of Springsteen, she rolls the dice, she takes that chance. But I think also because it's Springsteen, the odds are really good that it doesn't pay off.
1: I think that's a perfectly great answer and not depressing at all. I think that fits <laughs> with the tone. Um, this was a blast. Um, yeah, it's I, been a pleasure. Really good. Uh, we haven't even got to talk about you. There's so much more to talk about. Um, you, you you did arrow playlists about the serial theme. You've talked about yeah, that's out on Spotify, by the way, yeah, I, exactly. I created
0: a Spotify playlist to go with my article. So you can yeah,
1: that's great. Um, if someone wants to reach you, uh, and read more of your work, what's the best way to do
2: it?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Russ Burlingame. It's R U S S B U R L I N G A M E. And I always joke that's really long and I'm not going to repeat it. So ECV underscore podcast, the Emerald City Video Podcast. If you go to those two places on Twitter, uh, there's links to like my comicbook.com bio, my Facebook page for the Emerald City Show, and all that kind of – so there's a bunch of places you can find me that all kind of spiral out from just finding me on Twitter.
1: What are you working on now for the website?
0: For the website? uh, Well, I'm theoretically on the clock today. I actually started work early so that I could – my my buddy Zach came over with his dog for half an hour to yeah. play with my kids, and then I did the show. And so I started work early so that I could get all this stuff done and still not get in trouble at work. Um, so tonight I'm I'm like right now writing about just regular kind of breaking news stuff. Okay. Um, writing about uh, they did they just canceled Katie Keene, which is a show that I covered a little bit. I was a big Riverdale fan in the first mm. season. Yeah. Um, and and so a lot of it is, is kind of boring stuff. There's there's a lot of like bigger features going on, and, and okay. certainly like uh, I have a just a litany of interviews that's going to be coming. Okay, good. Uh, in in the next two weeks because I covered the junket for PTA oh, Universals Universal. Nice. Up to uh, yeah. and and so if you like me are a big fan of the the show Psych, I yes. talked to the cast Psych. Like, Oh, how fun. I'll talk to the cast of uh, Brave New World, the Aldous Huxley uh, adaptation, okay. which is uh, – everybody, everybody, it's easy to say Brave New World is kind of like eerily prescient uh, in, in this kind of dystopian hellscape that we live in now. Um, but I will say more than uh, the, the Handmaid's Tale, I watched the first like four episodes of Brave New World – and like yeah, there's there's scary stuff in there, and there's depressing stuff in there, and there's stuff there that mirrors the real world in an uncomfortable way, but uh, they imbue it with a sense of energy and fun and some really good editing, and they make it an incredibly watchable show. Okay. And so, like, I, I had a really good time talking to that cast. And there's, like, nine interviews that are all going to okay, drop in the next six weeks or so. Nice.
1: Um, I, I, I somehow did not get into Riverdale or Kathy Keene, but I have loved the heck out of Nancy Drew. was surprised at how yeah. that show, the gothic kind of spiritual uh, supernatural mm-hmm. twist was not what I expected. It ended up being something
0: I really enjoyed. It's funny because with the Technicolor uh, palette and the steam and the blah blah blah, like it's really easy to look at that show and be like, oh, it's just Riverdale. Uh, yeah. But but it's a very it is a very different show. Like first of all, Riverdale keeps flirting with the supernatural and then doing the Scooby Doo thing of like pulling off the mask and going, yeah. oh no, it's you know.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: and and so like, and that's not a, a dig at Riverdale. No, it's no, just no. Their approach is yeah. different. Whereas sure. uh, Nancy Drew, like you look at that at the trailer for the pilot, and if you've seen Riverdale. You're like, oh, it's not really gonna be supernatural. It's gonna be that they they right. have, you know, somebody's dad being creepy in the back room, and right. you know, um, and so like very quickly you realize like, no, there's a lot going on in this show, and, yeah. and I was really surprised and kind of pleasantly so uh, yeah. by that. Absolutely, I um, agree. All right, and so I, that that actress, uh, she, but when she first got cast, she wasn't really on social media. Yeah, uh, and I didn't realize her her mom is like a best-selling author. Oh, nice. And so at first, like, I her mom follows me on Twitter because I was one of the first people to say a lot of nice things about the show after they screened the pilot at San Diego. Mm-hmm. But, like, it took me the longest time to, to kind of make the connection of, like, oh, it's the same oh, – oh, okay. yeah.
1: Nice. <laughs> well, very good. All right. Well, I could keep talking to you all night. Yes, let's do this again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for um, spending your time. Please stay safe. I hope you and your family –
0: Are we doing
1: the best they can?
0: We have a high risk person in the house, so we're very we're and we live in a red county where a lot of people are not taking it seriously, so we're kind of like hyper aware. So I'm very I'm in Texas, so enough said. Yeah, right? so you understand. Yes,
1: yeah. uh, though the governor today said that um, he s- is uh, making it mandatory with masks, so we'll see if people are going to follow. Yeah. Uh, so, well, thank you, my friend. Um, please be safe. Take good. Listeners, you stay safe. Do what you need to do. Wash your hands. Stay six weeks away. Wear an effing mask, as the boss says, and we will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only Set and Bruce. Set and Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set and Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.